Hello, advisors. Dan Smeta, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're talking about words that have always worked. <laughs> I'll talk about some research uh, you might want to check out, and then uh, a couple of uh, timeless insights from the world of science. First, this summer, I had the opportunity to revisit research from Invesco and uh, Melansky and Partners on words that work. I've seen this presentation before, and seeing it again was a strong reminder of how easy it is to lapse into jargon and to take our eyes and ears off of what really works for clients. We use language that suits our world, and there's an opportunity to refine that language. Uh, this, uh, this study, Words That Work, shows you how. Now, I'm going to share a couple of highlights from the research, but I'm not going to share it all because I strongly suggest that you contact Invesco and consider attending their New Word Order workshop. It's a workshop called New Word Order. It's really good research and it's their stuff, so I'm not going to steal their thunder. What I'm going to do is share a couple of tidbits to whet your appetite for that larger body of work, and then it's up to you to do with it what you will. Then, though, I'll add some insight I've gleaned from a broader study of communications and what works for clients or anyone for that matter. First, let's start with words that work according to Invesco's research. What they did, uh, this consulting firm they partnered with, they surveyed clients on how they viewed terms that advisors use every day or could use. And the results provide guidance on what to use and what to lose, as they would say. Let me give you the most basic example I saw in the session, how you talk about fees. Now, I work with a lot of advisors, and almost all of them, when we start working together, speak in terms of fees, justifying fees, the fees they charge, the rationale for their fees, a breakdown of fees, what types of fees there are in different products. Well, it turns out fees are one of those words that need to be on the lose-it list. We just don't like to hear about fees. They imply unnecessary or extra spending. They have a connotation that uh, they're extra and expensive. Fees, bad. On the other hand, we can all agree that things cost money and you get what you pay for. That's just logical. That's why the word cost has much less of a negative connotation. It's not viewed as extra. Costs are viewed as core. Things cost money. So the application for advisors is substitute the word fees for the word costs, whether you're talking about products or your own advice. Use a word that works better. Instead of my fees are 1% or I charge a 1% fee, you might be saying uh, something like, the cost of my services comes out to approximately 1% of the assets you entrust me with. That will work better, according to the research. Here's another thing that struck me from the research. Uh, it's the way clients value simplicity over complexity. For example, when you're talking about stocks versus bonds, are you saying stocks versus bonds, or are you saying words like equities and fixed income? 
Without quoting the research, you can guess which one works better with clients. The same principle of simplicity holds true for choices like diversified versus balanced. Choose the alternative that's simpler and more accessible for clients. And I mean all clients, not just the ones you deem to be less sophisticated. All clients, from your high net worth clients on down, benefit from simplicity. Simple terms free our minds to consider larger concepts versus struggling for the definitions. Like when you're reading, if you understand all the words easily, you're not concentrating on what a word means. You're focused on the larger picture and getting the meaning. Same concept here. Again, strongly consider accessing Invesco's work yourself. This is merely a snippet. Good stuff. Uh, New Word Order Workshop. Now I want to turn the podcast, though, to some other words that work more generally, not just within the confines of financial advising, but in overall communication. These phrases are like skeleton keys you can apply in a variety of situations. Now, you're going to have your own. I'm just going to give you a core few starters. And as usual, they are not complex. They're just not always easy to use because we have other routes hardwired into our brains. And I'm not going to give you specific questions or secret sauce that works for one advisor in that one situation, right? That's not it. I'm not encouraging you to copy any individual. These are universals. Let's start with the most fundamental words that work, which are please and thank you. (laughs) Why do I mention these? They're so basic. Well, it's because in the expert chair, it's easy to simply drop a little bit of that please and thank you when we're technically absorbed and in the heat of analysis or advice. Now, of course, you're always going to remember to say please and thank you when you're asking people for something. You're polite. But how about when you're asking a question or when you're asking someone to tell you something? Are you saying, please tell me this or just saying, tell me? Or what is this or that? And are you thanking people for their answers, especially when they're hard answers to give? That's what I mean by please and thank you. They work more often, more universally than we sometimes give them credit for. It's a skeleton key of communication. Let's continue, shall we? As a matter of fact, we just did. Using pronouns like we and our and let's are my next set of words that work. Why? Because they bring us together and establish our partnership and our shared ownership and our mutual accountability toward a task or toward a result. Look for opportunities to use we language, especially in moments of tension or where the tendency might be to point a finger. As a corollary, a word to lose would very often be the word you. The word you is like a verbal finger pointing at people, and that's great when you're pointing out something good about them like your hat is fabulous or you are making an excellent decision. We'll talk about why even that is a trouble phrase, though, but that's a double trouble phrase. In the meantime, you is a double-edged word and one to consider losing in many situations. 
So the point, though, is we language, partnership language, we, let's, our, us, good stuff, words that always work. My next example of words that work is actually two words put together, and it's yes and. Now, if you've studied improv at all, you'll know this one. I've been lucky enough to learn at the feet of practitioners at Second City in Chicago. I've been through several of their workshops with clients. And wow, you learn right away that openness and an attitude of yes and is one of the main ingredients that keeps improv and dialogue flowing. The minute disagreement or obstruction occurs in improv, scenes wither and die. And in advising, so can rapport. The adage in improv is, if there's an open door, go through the door. Right? An attitude of yes. In advising, that's embodied in the phrases yes and. Here's what I mean. Sometimes clients say things that aren't necessarily right and need to be corrected. And it's very easy. Most of us are in a lifelong habit of saying, yes, but. Now that does a couple of things. First, slapping a but after the word yes really erases the yes. That word is an eraser or a negator of what comes before it. The second thing you do with yes, but is you emphasize what comes after. It's your disagreement or the corrective or rebutting nature of your commentary. It's like announcing you're about to rebut someone. And what do you do if you know that somebody is about to argue or rebut you? You get ready to defend yourself or rebut the rebuttal. And now a cycle of, and you got an argument. And clients often will win the argument, they decide. So, the point is, lose the yes but, turn that into yes and, and now you're valuing client opinion and input while continuing to add clarity and information. That's hard to do sometimes, but that's definitely a couple of words together that work. Finally, my favorite example of words that work isn't exactly a word at all, it's punctuation. Specifically, it's the question mark. More than anything in client communications and just communication, questions that help you listen to and empathize with and understand someone better just work better than statements in so many ways. One really serious example of this and obvious is in the way that we offer value judgments to clients when in reality the goal is helping clients form their own value judgments and or be clear with us about their value judgments. So here's what I mean by that. Setting an anchor that helps somebody form an opinion is a way more effective way of getting to a, a value judgment client's own than simply offering your opinion. That's why contrasting options can be so valuable. You don't have to tell a client which option is better if you can lay it out, lay two options out side by side in a comparison and let clients see for themselves. You're pointing differences out and asking them questions on how they view the comparison. Now you're using questions to help them form a value judgment they own versus trying to put your own on them. And that simply works better than a statement from you in so many situations if the goal is to get clients to internalize or own an insight. Here's why. People don't argue with their own data. That's the lesson 
confirmation bias tells us. And it applies all over the place in client communications, even when you're the trusted advisor. How do we know this? Well, if you've ever disregarded a doctor's orders, you know exactly how far trusted advisor status goes compared to the most trusted advisor of all, which is, of course, myself. <laughs> and frankly, all these words that work are really about managing those cognitive biases, aren't they? Using we-oriented language, for example, puts you on the same side of similarity biases by establishing more common agenda. The words yes and help you align with clients and avoid the contradictory tone that activates similarity bias and pits you against someone. Questions definitely help you manage confirmation bias because they help clients have the insight and you're pulling that. And then... Common courtesy is just common courtesy that's never stopped being good stuff. Of course, the underlay to all this is your intent. You've got to mean it or the question has less impact. Yes, and is only good if you're willing to let client ideas to live in their imperfections. Like anything, these tools are not good or evil. They're simply tools. Your job is to use them for good. Speaking of good, did we hear anything we like? What do you think of these things? What do you think about taking a moment to jot down a couple of takeaways when your hands are free? I know that's an extra step. Why might it be worth it? My assumption, though, is that you probably will do something with it. You're already listening to a podcast, a bunch of words from me, with the specific aim of helping you hone your edge. So, I love that. Keep it going. Good luck. That's the podcast. I'm Dan Smeda. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time.